0: I wonder if someday artificial intelligence could pull off this podcast. Artificial intelligence is one of the subjects we're talking about today on Today in Ohio, the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn. I'm here with Lisa Garvin, Laura Johnston, and Courtney Astoffe talking about some City Hall stuff. Let's begin. Artificial intelligence has made it easy to create realistic video and images of real people doing bad things. Laura, how might Ohio lawmakers tackle this situation, which you could imagine could be used to devastating effect with political campaigns?
1: I am so glad that Democrats and Republicans can agree on something and that is that this is bad. They want to outlaw artificial media, like the videos or audio that would impersonate real people in unflattering or compromising positions and this technology is getting more and more sophisticated so that you can't always tell the difference between what's real and what is basically a very sophisticated form of animation. So AI has made it easy for anyone to create this fictionalized content and destroy reputations of anyone, famous or not. So Republicans and Democrats in the Ohio House want to create bills, there's three of them out there, that would penalize this. One of the Republican bills goes as far as creating criminal penalties for creators and sharers of the content, the other two are civil offenses, and generally there are exemptions If the creators disclose to the viewers or the listeners that the message has been manipulated, then this is not real. But they're called deep fakes. And apparently there's one impersonating Joe Biden that was in a robocall in New Hampshire urging citizens not to vote in the primary.
0: I I worry about this from a free speech perspective, because parody has always been part of humor. How many times Mm -hmm. has Saturday Night Live had skits based on real people doing preposterous things? And the deep fakes, you could imagine, could be used for parody to to be preposterous. Uh, But but there is a real danger. I mean, we saw Taylor Swift get spread all over the Internet in porn situations that were all deep fake, that people went nuts trying to stamp out. And if you're a politician running for office and at the 11th hour, somebody puts something up with you saying something really bad do people believe it? I mean, there is a serious danger here to miscommunication. We already have a danger of miscommunication on social media. Mm -hmm. So this is a tough one. This is a needle they're trying to thread. It's a tough needle to thread.
1: I agree. And and I think the bills do make, Space for parody. But the idea is that, as Adam Matthews, he's a Republican from Lebanon, said in an interview, he wants to protect every Ohioan's right to their name, image, and likeness. That's usually a phrase we hear when we talk about college athletes. But you're, I mean, it is terrifying that anybody could take my likeness and put it out there doing and saying anything. Like, I have a right to my own identity. And I think that's what we're talking about identity theft, not in a you know, money situation with bank accounts, but in just your ability to be a person in the world.
0: Look, you're on this podcast. Your voice is all over it. Somebody yeah. could download all your voice prints and put together a message that they leave on my phone saying, Chris, I love my job so much. I no longer want to be paid for it. I want to do it for free. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, what would I do with that? I'd have to go to Brad and say, hey, look, we don't have to pay Laura anymore. I, it, 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 the danger is to everybody. And th- th- it gets into scams. So if somebody were to do something with your voice and call your husband and and pretend to be you, yeah. how effective could might that be?
1: Or your kids, and the, right? That, I right. Mean,
0: that's the real danger. Somebody calling your kid in your voice and having them do something dangerous. This is a serious threat. I I always worry though, when lawmakers start passing laws that can be used in a punitive way. So, so say some media did something ugly on Matt Huffman and he didn't like it. Could that law be used then to, um, to take him out, even though it was intended as parody? It's, I
1: think, these are all really good questions that we should be very thoughtful about. I think with everything with artificial intelligence, it is just opening a Pandora's box of things that you never contemplated before, and our laws are not equipped to deal with it. And so we're having to be very specific about drawing lines that honestly might change very quickly.
0: It's, it's interesting that the Ohio legislature is taking it on because it is a threat, as we said, to a lot of different people. The danger is in how they do it. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Why can't Cuyahoga County answer the phone when people call for services like food stamps? It's been a problem for a long time. And Courtney, it appears to be getting worse again. What's the reason?
2: Yeah, this is a bad situation for anyone who relies on SNAP benefits in Cuyahoga County. In December, we looked at state data from December. And the call center in Cuyahoga County where you call in to do your SNAP benefits business, it had an average wait time of 55 minutes. And that's only for calls that actually get answered. Just over half of callers, around 54%, only, like, eventually get through to someone. Other people have to hang up or the business day runs out while they're still on the line and they're left hanging. And the, these these wait times are are the longest it's really been in Cuyahoga County in years, since at least early 2020, according to the data we looked at. We we looked at this because Cuyahoga County last year had similar problems, and and the county had promised to improve its pickup rates back then. And, and you know, back a year ago, only about one-third of Cuyahoga County's calls were actually getting answered. These numbers are, are not good. As of December, Cuyahoga was the longest wait time in northeast Ohio, And the third longest in the state it did fall behind franklin and stark counties so you kind of at least with franklin pick up a pattern that the wait times are longer in the larger counties that have higher demand for snap benefits but when we talked to the head of jfs here kevin gowan he he really pointed to staffing as a big driver here it's it's hard to fill the spots needed to staff the call center and then in december in particular he said You know, the dynamics kind of change because people are off for the holidays.
0: Maybe some of the people calling for food stamps want to fill those positions. I wonder if they've thought if we answer the phone, we might get some candidates. This to me is is reason number 354 for why we should go back to the original form of county government. And the, the charter change was. A nightmare. I don't remember this happening when we had three skilled county commissioners who were looking at the county in a macro view instead of the parochial ward view that we have now. Where's the county council on this? Why aren't they having a hearing on this? Why aren't they calling the administration in to say, what is going on, guys? We have people in need this is the agency that's supposed to help them and they won't even answer the phone. Zachary had examples in there of three hour waits. Yes. We, we talked to
2: one woman. She, she had to call three different times and each time her wait time was at least three hours. But the last time she called, she was on the phone for nearly five hours. That's wild. And, and she told us that it was a major struggle. She, 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 Somebody told her to call in between the hours of 8 and 10 a.m. And she was on hold well into the afternoon. She said it just doesn't make sense. And to kind of put this into context, just just making people who are already in a vulnerable place wait for more than half a business day on the phone, you know, that's a problem. We talked to the Center for Community Solutions, um, someone over there, Emily Matil- Matillo, and, and she really kind of put into context that. There's just a high cost of time when you're a low income person. The only thing valuable you have to give up is your time. And and that's kind of the, the, the troubling loop that these folks are stuck in. You got to take kids in. You got to maybe run to work, get some errands done. Who has five hours to sit on the phone? No one. No,
0: it's inhumane. We we should not be treating people like this. this is the county government. This is what our taxes pay for. Chris Ronane needs to be held accountable. And the watchdog that's supposed to hold him accountable is the county council. Why aren't they calling for something to fix this. These are their constituents. They're too busy spending on their slush funds. They don't really care. This is where they need to focus their attention. It was an alarming story when you read it and you just thought, we're really making people in poverty, people who are struggling with the worst challenges we face, wait three, four, and five hours to get on the phone to get their rightful help.
3: But without staffing, without adequate staffing, and they're limping along an obsolete technology... They have to fix those problems.
0: Yeah, but they had all that ARPA money, Lisa, that they could have used to raise the salaries mm-hmm. and buy good technology. Instead, they spent it on things like a golf club that they had sixty six million dollars that they flushed down the toilet. I, I this is one where you're right. There there's they, problems here. The reason we elect these folks are to solve the problems. And if they're not even having meetings to discuss it. To pull the experts in to say, what's going on? What's it going to take? Do we need to raise salaries? How do we adjust the staffing in the county? It's not going to get fixed. And you don't see anybody but us pointing out the problem. You're listening to Today in Ohio. What's the latest step by environmental groups to stop or at least delay drilling for natural gas and oil under state parks in Ohio? Lisa, which is one of the worst ideas we've had come out of state government in years.
3: The Ohio Environmental Council and Earth Justice filed a motion in their ongoing lawsuit to stop next week's meeting of the Oil and Gas Land Management Commission. They're concerned that that meeting will expedite the bidding process for drilling and fracking in Salt Fork State Park and other state parks by about three months. Earth Justice is representing the Environmental Council and Save Ohio Parks, which is a grant. Grassroots Advocacy Group. OEC attorney Chris Tavenor says state law requires the Ohio Department of Natural Resources to lease lands once winning bidders are selected. He says they want to pause the, quote, bureaucratic steamroller so points of law can be settled before leasing and fracking occurs. This is the first time we've done this in Ohio. It sh- we shouldn't be leasing state land for oil and gas development, but he says we should follow state rules if they do do that that. This is the second lawsuit on this matter. It was filed back in November in Franklin County. The first lawsuit was filed last April and uh, the environmental council is also involved in that one.
0: I get the feeling that they're trying to do anything to delay it, hoping that we'll wake up from this nightmare and come to our senses and say, let's not do this. Because most people don't want to drill understate parks. Why would you sully these things that we've preserved? The, the, the way the law is, this is inevitable. It's going to happen. It would take mm-hmm. a change in the law to fix it. But the delay tactics <laughs> just seem like if we if we stop it long enough, maybe a few people will sit back and say... Hmm, I like state parks. Maybe we shouldn't do it. Maybe the governor, for instance, will sit back and say, hey, legislators, let's go back. Let's preserve the state parks. Let's not go this way.
3: And I think what they're pointing out, too, is they're putting the cart before the horse here. They want to lease these lands before the regulations have really been set in stone or even discussed for that matter.
0: Yeah, it's there. They are hell bent on getting the drills into the ground. There are all the lawmakers and regulators that much in the pockets of this industry. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Dave Yost took on family dollar because it was charging people more than the prices on the shelves he settled this week. Laura, how much is Ohio getting and how is Yost proposing to spend it?
1: Ohio got $400,000, 250000 of that settlement is going to go to food banks and similar charities around Ohio. Uh, it's going to be selected by the 88 county auditors in Ohio. Family dollars also reimbursing the state $100,000 for the investigative fees and costs and pay a $50,000 civil penalty and cover the court costs. So that was the settlement. It's actually fairly similar to a settlement that Yost office reached with Dollar General in the past. So if you're confused and you're thinking, wait, didn't we do this already? Two different cases, two different businesses. That was Tennessee-based Dollar General, and they dropped claims of deceptive pricing in exchange for a million dollars, and seven hundred fifty thousand of that went to food banks around Ohio. So with this case, Family Dollar agreed to put a bunch of policies in place to ensure it's not charging customers m- more at the registered than advertised on the shelf. And that was the issue here. So some of those things are putting signs up so that customers know their rights. Uh, people checking, Dollar General people have to check, uh, in, you know, inspectors have to check, so that they have to be kept more honest in the future.
0: Yeah, the, the safeguards to fix what they were doing are important. And if they're mm-hmm. followed, it'll be a good thing. It, it still seems like it's incumbent on people To check, how often do you all look at the cash register when your products are being scanned? I do, but that's just me. So you notice if something isn't priced correctly from what you saw on the shelf?
1: Yes. Mm -hmm. I really don't. Like, usually I'm doing the self-checkout, right? And I'm more concerned with finding the next barcode to scan (laughs) (laughs) and not holding up a line that I, you know, I grab the receipt, I stuff it in a bag, and I rarely look at it.
0: Interesting. Well, we'll have to see if dollar changes its way. You're listening to Today in Ohio. All right, Courtney, the Cleveland City Council has begun its budget hearings. One of the biggest things they'll be talking about is police staffing. And you had kind of a dramatic moment to kick off the public safety discussion in the hearings on uh, Tuesday.
2: Yeah. Yesterday, like you said, we do it every year. Everybody comes in and kind of there's this big rollout of this year's budget plan. The mayor's sitting there and all the council members kind of have their chance. It's the only time in the year that the mayor's right there at the table in front of the council members and they all have a chance to really kind of ask him questions and talk about things. And, And like you said, Policing is a huge piece of this year's budget. We're seeing a continuation of Bibb's strategy to reduce police vacancies in the budget, to free up money for the cops who actually are on staff and give them raises. And the hope, of course, on Bibb's end is to hopefully increase the size of the police department in the long term. But council members yesterday obviously had a lot of questions about this strategy, talking about, you know, violent continuing violence problems in their neighborhoods. And just the striking moment came when Councilman Kevin Bishop, who's usually a pretty reserved guy and and doesn't always jump in on, on a lot of the crime and policing talks. He's usually more focused on public works and things like that. But but Kevin Bishop walked in and he had a couple of questions about public works. And then he got to the end of his time talking to the mayor and he said, you know, I really wasn't going to bring this up, but I got to tell you this morning at 3.45 AM, I heard gunshots outside my house, just loud, loud. It sounded like they were just a few feet away outside the home. And he grabbed his wife and they took cover on their bedroom floor, rolled out of bed and and took cover because the gunshots were so close and Bishop represents a portion of the Southeast side of the city, the Mount Pleasant and Union Miles neighborhoods. And, and that was how he started his, his budget hearings day, you know, um, and that came on the heels of this weekend and what had him on high alert yesterday morning was other shots had been fired outside of his home on Friday night into Saturday morning. And they too sounded loud right outside the door. Bishop told everybody, and when he went to investigate, kind of what had happened after the fact, he he found his window shot out and a bullet lying on his front room floor.
0: How and what was the reaction in the room? Was did everybody get very quiet and listen? Did they commiserate? How, how did that go over? That's not a normal way to start a budget hearing.
2: No, it, it did feel um, quiet quiet and and everyone was listening to what he had to say. And I went back and kind of looked at what Bibb's expression was. He just, you know, kind of had his fingers over his mouth, you know, listening intently like everyone else was in the room, you know. But it, it really put into perspective this whole debate at City Hall and across the city about where are we at with violence? Where are we at with policing? What's the path forward? And Bishop had a really a poignant comment to end end his you know this horrifying account. He said, Mr. Mayor, this is not unusual for residents in the city of Cleveland. He said, Mr. Mayor, what's the strategy? Wow. And and it was, I mean, you saw some other council members closing their eyes or shaking their head. You know, they they say they hear this from their residents all the time. And here it was hitting home for one of the council members himself right on the day when we were starting this year's conversation about what is the future of policing here? What is the future and, and where do we stand on violent crime?
0: There are long periods of time in these budget hearings where you have to fight yourself to stay awake because it gets so droning and boring moments like that are electrifying. I, uh, I, I don't remember much like that in the days I was covering city council.
2: Yeah. It, you know, a bib bib had had quite a response for him he said it's you know unconscionable and un-american no one should have to live in fear like this and of course he talked about everything he's doing to 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 try and increase police and address violent crime but this is a reality in cleveland and all of our leaders have to deal with it
0: okay you're listening to today in ohio The Mayfield investor who wants to revamp Norfolk Southern now has a quite detailed plan to do it, including the help of a former Ohio governor. Lisa, we talked about this in more vague terms last week. Now we have great specificity.
3: Yeah, they're definitely moving forward. And this is Ancora, which is a Mayfield Heights-based activist investor group. They currently own about 2% of Norfolk Southern Railroad. It's about a billion dollars. And right now they're calling for the ouster of CEO Alan Shaw. They want to add eight new board members. Ancora CEO Fred DeSanto says leadership is why Norfolk Southern is unperforming versus its competitors. And they whipped out a 58-slide PowerPoint detailing their proposed changes. One of those eight board members they want to install would be former Governor John Kasich. They also want to replace Shaw with a former UPS executive, Jim Barber. They want to make former CSX Railroad executive, Jamie Boychuk the COO of Norfolk Southern. Um, They're saying that Norfolk Southern has 11% less shareholder returns than its competitors, Union Pacific, CSX, and Canada National Railway. Railway. And DeSanto said that they've been meeting with Norfolk Southern privately for the last two months to discuss all this. And Norfolk Southern is required to consider Ancora's nominees. They say, though, that they had a good year in 2022. They had revenue growth and they're working on train speeds, but they didn't address the CEO issue. And and Cora says they're not calling for layoffs. There are about 2,900 Norfolk Southern employees in Ohio, and they say if they can't reach an agreement, there'll be a proxy fight at the annual shareholders meeting.
0: This is such a full-bodied plan that you would think that investors might be taking notice. That wow, this guy has come forward with a real thoughtful process for building profits here. You would think he might get some momentum with this. And if you get John Kasich on the board, it would certainly make for more interesting board meetings.
3: Yeah, it certainly would. And uh, I you know they're you know, if they're right about Norfolk Southern underperforming versus its competitors, then there's definitely a lot of room for improvement. But then again, Norfolk Southern has shelled out over a hundred million dollars and as part of the East Palestine uh, derailment and toxic spill.
0: While fighting any new safety requirements in Congress. Right, and
3: having one person per train.
0: Yeah, Yeah. you're listening to Today in Ohio. A massive bridge in Summit County needs replacing. Can Summit County afford it, Laura? How is it getting some help?
1: I mean, can anyone just shell out millions of dollars to fix a bridge without planning for it? Probably not. So they are going to get help from the federal government. The federal government is giving $5 million right now to help design the replacement for Main Street Bridge. That's over the Cuyahoga River. It's also known as the High Level Bridge. It connects Akron and Cuyahoga Falls. It's the county's largest, the most expensive, and if they're going to replace it, the design and construction costs are going to be about $70 million. That's coming from the Summit County engineer whose annual revenue is $21 million. So they're targeting this replacement for 2030, which means I'm glad they're starting with plenty of time. And the Department of Transportation can provide up to 80% of the funding for eligible costs for all phases of the project, which is good news for Summit County residents. Yeah.
0: When you hear that a bridge needs replacing, it makes you nervous, right? Because we've seen the the past news stories about bridges collapsing. It's great to see them getting ahead of it, but this one is massive.
1: Right. Exactly. It's one of the local major bridge program bridges, and that's why it gets so much of this federal funding. And that definition is a movable bridge or a deck area greater than 15,000 square feet. So because it's so big, that's why they're getting help.
0: Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. When we talked about it a couple of weeks back, the flu was not all that present in Ohio. How much of things changed, Courtney, and where in Ohio are things the worst?
2: Yeah, Ohio's flu rates right now are around, you know, in the recent past, uh, based on the most recent data we had, which was the week ending February 10th. But, But Ohio flu rates right now are categorized as very high. It's the first time this flu season we've reached that level. And the Ohio Department of Public Health and the CDC are reminding folks that it's not too late to get your flu shots. Flu hospitalizations are highest in West Central Ohio and Northeast Ohio. So yay for us. <laughs> Normally flu season ends around March, but nearly all indicators that right now that the state collects are trending above the five-year average for this time of the year. So as, as of the week ending February 10th, there were 558 hospitalizations across the state due to confirmed cases of influenza. And the number of doctor's visits for it jumped by 30%.
0: I was talking to somebody yesterday, has an acquaintance in their 40s downstate who got the flu and dying. I mean, it's it still does kill people. And getting that shot greatly reduces the symptoms if you uh, if you contract it. It's a frightening. It's, what's frightening is how fast it, it came out of nowhere. I mean, we, I think we talked about this just two weeks ago and it was, yeah, it's out there. It's not that bad. And now it's at a frightening level where people probably should mask up again.
2: Yeah, Cuyahoga County is logging the highest percentage of hospitalizations of any county in the state with 14%.
0: Yeah, scary stuff. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Ohio's three Republican candidates for senator had their second debate this week. Lisa, how did it go this time? Any clear winners?
3: No, and they're kind of all on the same page, but then they have ways of attacking each other, so it'll be interesting. Um, yeah, there was the debate on TV Monday at the University of Findlay, hosted by Spectrum News. All three candidates, Bernie Moreno, Frank LaRose, and uh, why am I forgetting the third one? <laughs> Matt Dolan, uh, all agreed on on abortion restrictions, securing the southern border, and Biden's alleged poor performance on the economy and foreign policy. But on the border, they all oppose that bipartisan immigration reform that got tanked in the House. Um, LaRose has said that deportation is a tool, but deporting 20 million people quickly is really unrealistic. And he also pointed out that Moreno advocated a legal path for undocumented immigrants back in 2016, and that Moreno is also against sending the military to Mexico to deal with the cartels, unlike LaRose, who wants to send in the army. Uh, Dolan says a path to legal status should be only after the border is secured. He says, we do need workers here. We need to fix the work visa program. And he claimed that Moreno wants to deport kids. And Moreno, in his defense, says, I never called for a path to citizenship. Look it up. On abortion, LaRose voted for the heartbeat bill, which is, you know, six weeks uh, maximum. Uh, Moreno said that he's pro-life with no exceptions. Dolan says he wants abortion restrictions, but he's opposed that there are no he's opposed to no exceptions for rape and incest. They're all against raising the minimum wage from the current ten dollars and forty-five cents an hour. They said it's not meant to be a livable wage. And of course, we will have the $15 an hour uh, 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 thing on the ballot this November, possibly if they can get the signatures and LaRose says the market should handle this.
0: It's too bad. They weren't asked about that wacko Alabama Supreme court ruling that is now declared an embryo, a person it's causing huge conversations all over the country. I mean, you're basically now saying that a, a almost microscopic collection of cells is a person in Alabama uh, would they go that far? My bet is they would. This is becoming the whole personhood debate, but they it doesn't sound like they were asked about it. This gets back, though, Lisa, to what we talked about last week. Does any of this matter? Because Trump has endorsed Moreno, as right. he make sure you know. And does that end it? Because Ohio's Republican voters do whatever Trump tells them.
3: Right, right. And, you know, it's interesting that they're kind of throwing Moreno's previous stances back in his face because they can roll the tape and say, yeah, you did say this. And they even brought up Moreno. They brought up House Bill 6. Moreno says, I was against it. These guys weren't. And they will answer for their involvement to a different audience. So we don't know. He was asked what he means by the different audience, but he didn't say so. (laughs) All right. Yeah. Interesting.
0: All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. You got thoughts about the three senatorial candidates? We have a toll free number to call and leave your comments, and we can play them on a future episode. It's 833 648 6329. Also, 833 OH today. Thanks for listening to Today in Ohio. Thanks, Lisa. Thanks, Laura. Thanks, Courtney. We'll be back Thursday talking about the news.